Hi, I'm Jenna Lee, a pediatric occupational therapist. And I'm Greg, a doctor of educational psychology. We're husband and wife, parents of four, trying to make evidence-based parenting practices accessible to all. Thanks for joining us as we learn to navigate the happy human life. All right, everybody, welcome back to the happy human life. I'm here with my wife, Jenna Lee, in episode number six, or as we're referring to them, date number six. And today we are talking about anxiety. Everyone who's anxious out there, give me a, hey, I'm anxious. It's just me and anxiety. Yes, uh, that's a song (laughs) our uh, 11-year-old brought home for us, and we absolutely adore it because... We relate. Our whole family, including our little pooch, is just riddled with anxiety. How is it possible that we also got an anxious dog? Yeah, it's fitting, though. I mean, he (laughs) is very welcome here with us. We all commiserate in our anxiety, but today is focused on finding solutions for these anxieties. So the full title of this episode, Understanding and Managing Anxiety Techniques to Support Your Family's Mental Health. Um, I am convinced that our family's anxiety is like one of the biggest drivers behind so much of the, let's say, unpleasantness that we Mm. see around the house. I don't want to label it as bad because... All emotions are valid and everything, but let's be real. If we could all just scale back our anxiety, I think our family would just be a lot better off. Well, hopefully this will help us as well, right? That's that's the goal. <laughs> so let's dig into these actionable tips, not only for you guys, but clearly it's for us. Yeah, Again. So what's, <laughs> what's kind of cool, just to let everyone know, the, us going through the process of outlining and then obviously kind of recording these podcasts is really helping us Mm -hmm. grow more into the parents that we want to be like we have these tips we have these strategies but we often fail to put them into practice so doing this podcast is helping us really think deeply about them and put them into practice so we just want to thank you for being here because if no one was listening I don't know if we would be making this well I think it's also that it forces us to talk about the tips yeah And then, okay, like, let's think about a story related to that tip and, you know, what could we have done better or what can we change to improve things in our own house? So I think this is us saying you should probably talk about what you learn here today with your partner. Yeah. Have those conversations. Anytime we just open these things up, dig into them, it can only help us grow in the right direction. Uh, So why don't you go ahead and summarize those three tips that we'll be getting into. Sure. So today we are going to talk about three actionable tips. Number one being model and nurture emotional regulation. Number two, establish routine and predictability. And then three, fostering growth mindset and resilience. Yeah. So our learning outcome for this episode, by the end, we'll all better understand the techniques we can use to support our family's mental health using those three actionable tips. So let's start off, as always, by sharing out some stats from social media. We asked you guys, how does anxiety impact your family's overall well-being? And an overwhelming 94% of you said that anxiety has a somewhat to very negative impact on your family's well-being. So I don't think there's any surprise there. If there's, if you have anxiety, if your kids have anxiety, if you both have anxiety, it's going to impact the family in some way. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, we're not here to demonize anxiety. It is a super 
healthy, evolved emotion and response that has kept humans alive, surviving, and thriving. But I think everybody listening would agree that the levels of anxiety that we're feeling kind of throughout the day are just holding us all back from being the people that we want to be. Reaching our potential. That's it. Being comfortable in our bodies. Yeah. Like we could go on and on. We also asked our community on social, how confident do you feel in your ability to support family members who may be struggling with anxiety? And only 13% felt confident, meaning 87% of us do not feel confident in our ability to support our family or ourselves when it comes to managing our anxiety. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I feel like this is something you and I are still figuring out. For sure. And here we are talking about it. So we can grow. <laughs> the happy human growth period. I think now is the point, though, where we can just move forward, yeah. right? Let's change things today, right now. We want to help you. We want to help ourselves build skills so that we can increase everyone's confidence in supporting not only ourselves, but also our family members, regardless of how disabling the anxiety might be. Mm -hmm. So before we dig in today, we just want to mention that at some points, it is crucial to seek professional help. If your anxiety or your child's anxiety is significantly impacting daily life, family life, personal life, whatever it might be, consider seeking help from a mental health professional. Greg and I can provide you with all of this education, but they can help you take it a step further and provide specialized support and strategies tailored to your family-specific needs within the area of anxiety. Yeah, and so like anxiety is this just massive spectrum. And so we're, we all experience anxiety on some level, but if you feel like you're experiencing anxiety at a level that is keeping you from like functioning effectively day to day, mm -hmm. please do seek out some support. All right, so now that we had the opportunity to kind of do an overview. Now we're going to get into a question from a Happy Human community member. Her name is Christina. She said, how do you handle signing your kids up for activities they've expressed interest in or you feel they'd enjoy, but at the time of the activity, they don't want to do it? My boys are eight and seven. My eight-year-old is shy, but we also want to encourage his growth. He throws fits at things he doesn't want to do. We try to remain calm speak encouraging words, but it's physically upsetting him. Yeah. And so mm. I feel this, this, you know, obviously Jenny, you know that this has happened to us so many times and I'm thinking like specifically that happens to me as a shy 37 year old. Yeah, okay. That's right, right. So, <laughs> it's true though. <laughs> let's help him now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, so I'm specifically thinking with, uh, with our kids when we signed two of them up for the same karate class and like whenever we can cluster them together in something, we have four. So it's a it's, parenting it's, win. It's so huge. So we had two of them agree. Yeah. We want to give karate a chance. Um, and it was going pretty well for a while as it was something new and exciting, but it then became like them getting off the bus and it was just this huge battle because mm. um, the class didn't start, you know, too far after they got home. So it's like, OK, we got to get in. We got to go pee. We got to get changed. Let's get in the car and go. And yeah, it was a struggle to just get them to want to move. And we had to ask ourselves, you know, is all this negativity that's wrapped around getting them there even worth it, right? Yeah, I mean, they would come home and 
you know, they probably needed time to just decompress from the day. Right. But with extracurricular activities, I mean, all of you who are listening, who are parents or grandparents, whoever you may be, you know, activities happen right after school because there's only so much time in the day. Right. And so we kind of have to make a choice. Like, are we are we not going to sign our kids up for things? Or is it really about digging deeper and finding what sort of activity they're going to want? to participate in, regardless of, you know, getting home, not having the time to really have to themselves. So staying flexible, which is a major theme when it comes to anxiety, which we'll dig much more into in just a second. So like thinking back to what's going on with them, um, what might have been the big issue outside of the whole like them just needing some space after school rather than rolling right into something else. This karate class was pretty kind of different uh, in terms of activities and intimidating in a lot of ways, right? Uh, Like I'm thinking of the size of the class, like it was huge. And some of the activities that they got into, you know, it was kind of unpredictable and unexpected things would happen. Um, And even some, uh, I know they kept the girls after to do like grappling, which Mm. is some pretty serious stuff. And they did enjoy it the first few times. But I mean, you're getting slammed to the ground. You're being asked to tug and pull and force other people to the ground. So, you know, maybe they just had a lot of anxiety around the class, which kind of demotivated them to really want to go. Or maybe the novelty wore off. Yeah. Right? That could be too. Yeah. And so for whatever reason, it just felt like the class was maybe a bit too much for them. It really wasn't worth that struggle. So eventually, you know, we honored that. Or, you know, maybe we forced them to go maybe a little longer than we should have. Uh, I mean, we, it definitely didn't feel good. No, it did Some of those days. So we did end up moving on because something wasn't right. And I think it's just a lot of work for parents when you feel that something isn't right to kind of dig a little deeper to figure out what that might be. Well, you know, it's something we paid for. Yeah. So that's definitely a part yeah, of it. You're finishing right? up the like, month. Like, <laughs> I've already paid all this money for you to complete this month. So it's like we're pressuring them to go we're pressuring them to participate, like just finish something. And it just, it doesn't feel good for anyone. Um, you know, but now and moving, we moved forward this school year and they're doing dance and the complaints are far less. Yeah. Um, so did we just give up extracurriculars altogether? Right. Cause that's an option. You could set that boundary for your family. Like we're not going to do right extracurricular activities during the school week. Maybe you just pick things that happen on the weekend, although I think those things are few and far between. (laughs) Um, But no, we found something that is fitting for them right now. Will it fit for them forever? We don't know. And maybe now karate can be a learning experience where we really listen to our kids more and believe them, face the problem together, and... Yeah, I'm thinking that maybe we need to have a family discussion about karate and, you know, really talk with them about like what we learned and how we can use that moving forward. Right. And so what's cool is to kind of look back on these things, not as failures in any sense. Everything is just one big learning experience for us to, again, figure out what works, what doesn't and unpack all of the feelings that come along with it. So I think we f- see it as a failure, though. For right. Sure. In the yeah. moment, you're like, why can't I get my kid off the bus, dressed, have a snack, ready for karate? Like, wh- what am I doing wrong when in reality you're not doing no, anything wrong? Absolutely not. 
There's just a ton of environmental, personal things going on, and we really just have to be on their team. And I think so the crucial step there, you're on their team, right? You just, you need to listen. You need to provide space for them to speak. And I'm not saying we do this as we're trying to like get them rushed out the door to the activity, but outside of those moments, unpack it, figure out what's going on. Again, play detective like we've talked about. Um, This is where we can figure out what the real problems are and then move into kind of helper problem solver solver mode. Mm -hmm. So this brings us to actionable tip number one of the episode, model and nurture emotional regulation. And so to introduce this topic, I'm going to share a story about one of our daughters who has been practicing, it's only been a few times now, but it's been phenomenal, this mindfulness meditation um, as we're going to bed at night. And so Jenilee and I have done this ourselves. So again, we are modeling this at bedtime. And our four kids right now are sharing a room. So the six of us will be in this bedroom. And we have gone through our own little mindfulness meditations to help them calm down. But what really blew us away is when we opened it up to say, who wants to run the mindfulness meditation tonight before bed? And our eight-year-old stepped up. And hearing her (laughs) go through the activity um, floored us where we've been trying to open it up to have them run those activities more often. I mean, I don't know if you're all familiar with Peloton. I'm sure you are. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what, is this? what is this pentatone? <laughs> I don't want to assume, but we've done a couple of the family yeah. Meditation. geared meditations on there. And just to note, they are like five minutes. So if you have nowhere to, no idea where to start, not that you have a Peloton membership, but you can find these like five minute mindfulness meditations to kind of help grease the wheels. and. Give oh yeah, ideas. you can go on YouTube and find these things for free. And like she's really good at imitating the instructors. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe it was a missed opportunity for a Halloween costume. I mean, I could totally see her. I mean, she was Taylor Swift, though, which <laughs> perfect timing this year. She nailed it out of the park. Oh, Greg. I mean, just let's pause for a second and appreciate Taylor Swift. Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a fan. You, you okay there? <gasps> we're battling some significant illnesses here in this house right now. Um, but we're going to we're going to get through this. We must we must go on. <laughs> um so yeah, Taylor Swift. I, we saw her concert movie and all 8 hours of it. Definitely <laughs> I'm definitely a fan. Like she's rocking life right now and I'm just I'm happy for her. I just hope that like listening to her songs doesn't make me like an angry person. Cuz I'm I'm definitely I've, it helps me process those <laughs> negative emotions. Her, as an artist, she is bringing to the surface my trauma, and I'm able to move on. So I, I, I mean, I'm I, in like a very healthy, married. I'm in a <laughs> wait. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> you know, I'm in like a very healthy marriage, but I just feel like I've been wronged in yeah. so many ways. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, that's funny. All right, back to the story. Okay. So, um. <laughs> Our daughter running through this meditation, just to kind of give you an example, like she started off by saying, okay, now everyone grab a stuffed animal and give it a nice firm squeeze and then release. And she, you know, continued by telling us to think of something that made us happy that day, or even to think about something that didn't go well and what we could have done to change it. And I just, the, her like, what's the word? Like her pacing and her, her voice, it was just... 
it was great to see her bringing to the table that kind of calm regulation that we're trying to instill in them at bedtime. She obviously had achieved it and was helping the whole room, like including me. I'm sitting there in the chair with my eyes closed, kind of going through this like, man, this is really helping regulate me. And well, she's amazing because she definitely demonstrates so much confidence when she's doing this, yeah. right? I just thinking of her quote, which I know you know it. She goes around the house saying it. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Every day can be a good day if you make it that way. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> the old soul. Right. <laughs> um, I think, you know, all of this just speaks to the power of observation and modeling. Like you said, we've done this with them. We're using ourselves as a tool to teach regulation strategies. Right. So one of the key points we're discussing here is the importance of promoting emotional regulation. As I said, one way to do this is by modeling, and you want to do this daily, yeah. modeling these healthy coping strategies for and with our kids. So we talk a lot on here and on our social media pages about how kids and people in general learn from example. Yeah, I mean, right? it, it's... The role of social learning in our development is so incredibly massive. I mean, any student in a psychology class will rattle off the name Albert Bandura and the principles of modeling and his social cognitive learning theory. I mean, and this is one of the reasons why we meditate together in our Happy Human Collective live meetups. So, you know, we, we start with this group meditation. Um, again, we need to visualize and practice the skills that we're learning during moments of regulation if we're going to be better able to access these strategies during the challenging moments. Right. And just as a quick aside, if you're looking to work directly with us, yeah. please join us in the collective. We have live workshops, which is what Greg was just talking about, where we do a meditation together. Sometimes we do some journaling. Last week, we, all, we talked all about motivating our kids to listen and how we can get our partners more on board yep. with our parenting. We have weekly challenges. This week, we're working on triggers. That's a big one. I know. I think we need multiple weeks. Many weeks of triggers. triggers. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but we also have our like own kind of private social media feed and these group text threads. So it's become a place where we're really just connecting with the members of the collective in a much more personable way, helping each other feel seen and really offering supportive advice. Uh, this is a place to really level up and accelerate your growth. You know, earlier I was talking about how doing this podcast is really helping us grow, but this collective, you know, at the time of recording this, we've only been doing it, what is it, three, maybe four weeks? Three Not, plus, yeah. Yeah, a little over three weeks. And like, I have been trying to grow for many, many years. And just in the few weeks of kind of running the collective with you and working with the other parents in there, again, I'm already seeing the growth just accelerate. So if you want this kind of education and support, go to happyhumanlife.org, hop in the collective with us. We're offering a two-week free trial, so you can come check it out and see if it's a good fit for you. If not, cancel, no hard feelings. But we want to help the world. <laughs> we, we really <laughs> want to support parents. So join us in the collective, work with us and get the growth and support that you need. Absolutely. All right. So sorry. Going, sorry for the tangent. Going back to our topic, I think we just want to emphasize that as caregivers, we need to model, we need to teach, and we need to encourage activities that provide the sort of like just right 
yeah. amount and kind of sensory input that promotes regulation. So this can include activities like deep breathing, which we talk about a lot, mindful sensory activities or using other sensory tools and strategies to help us all stay grounded and regulated for whatever activity we want to do. And I just want to emphasize here, regulated doesn't always mean calm, like so many of us think. I know we talk about showing up as that calm and kind parent all the time, but I don't want us to confuse that with regulation having to look like that all the time. Right. And so this is something you helped educate me on, right? Regulation looks different based upon how we want and need to show up for whatever activity. So like, I'm not going to show up to teach a class the same way that I'd show up to a basketball game. We can be regulated in both those environments, but it's going to look really different. Right. So as parents, it's our job to demonstrate effective ways to handle our stress and anxiety, realizing that the types of sensory input that someone needs will be different from person to person and even moment to moment. Mm -hmm. It just really depends on like thousands of variables that are fluctuating. So it's going to take time. It's going to take experimentation. It's going to take work. But when we're able to discover the tools that are effective for not only us, uh, but also for our kids, again, this is how we can start to kind of move the needle towards regulation. Right. Towards a more regulated home. Yeah. And I think this is really tricky for people because, you know, we wish we could give you a one size fits all answer to this dilemma. Like what kind of sensory input is going to help me or my child? Yeah. That'd be nice. (laughs) I would like that too. But we can't because everyone's different. And so you're going to need to do the work and explore, test different activities to determine which promote regulation and which actually serve to dysregulate us. And that's, you know, observation, communicating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So again, we've got the four kids and I just been taking a a lot, I've been paying a lot of attention to all these tools. Again, just working on this stuff is helping me be more mindful of it all. And like just at bedtime, for example, they each have their own preferences when it comes to calming their bodies, calming their minds, getting into that kind of sleepful regulated state. I mean, one's hanging upside down (laughs) off of the end of her bed. (laughs) One is snuggled in with her blanket and five million stuffies. We've got the other one that's, I don't even know, getting in and out of bed. Like it's trampoline. (laughs) The one thing I will share that out of three out of the four, this seems to be a really helpful calming technique is uh, either Jen or I will lay there and kind of rub or scratch their backs or even their Mm. scalp. But we do have one in particular. You go to do that. They are get gonna, off me. They, yeah, they're gonna snap. And so it's just, <laughs> I want you to be here, but don't touch me. Right. And so, you know, with her, I'll just lay there next to her. Sometimes it's a little deep pressure. Maybe I'll put part of my body on top of hers. And it's uh it is just really funny, you know, taking inventory of the things that are working for some and not for others and doing the work to try different things. And we also have to not take it personally. Yeah, right? right. I think what, you, you know don't love me. When she was younger, I sort of did take it personally and like that kind of kept me away a bit. And now I realize like even though she's saying don't touch me, she still very much wants me to be right next to her. I just have to honor her personal space. But please, mom, stay. So again, if your child isn't 
receiving the sort of support that you're kind of putting out, find what works for them, be flexible, and don't take anything personally. Right. Because it's not about you. It's not. And so, <laughs> and again, that's, that's part of the problem here. So in order to model regulation, we must first get better at becoming regulated ourselves. Right. Uh, so no, again, not taking things personally, not allowing yourself to be triggered by them unintentionally, like let's say disrespecting us or hurting us is super important. Yeah. And I think this is really tough too, because like we're all these balls of anxiety trying to manage our own regulation Yeah, while we'll, while we're also trying to teach and support our kids through co-regulation, but we need to be regulated in order to co-regulate, yeah. right? So we have to really work on embracing and taking care of our own anxiety in order to show up for our kids and help them be able to navigate these feelings in constructive ways. Absolutely. And keep in mind, there are going to be many fails. We are going to try so many things that don't work, that seem to add fuel to the fire when we're trying mm. to come in with water. So learn from those experiences. Don't take it personally. Move on and try different things. And some things will land. Again, as evidenced by our daughter doing this kind of bedtime meditation routine that has just blown us away, things will catch. You just have to try different things. Right. And I think that shows that she's empowered. Yeah. Right? That's where that confidence comes from. And our kids knowing that they have the tools and the knowledge to take care of themselves while also knowing that their parents are there to support them, it doesn't get much more powerful than that. Yeah. Should we practice a strategy right now? Yeah. And so I've been meaning to share this out. I've been, I do a lot of walks in the woods and talks, and this is a strategy that it's like my go-to that I have still yet to share out to the world. So sharing it here. Whew. The most important step of modeling regulation is to show up regulated, right? And I've learned from Dr. Andrew, Andrew Huberman out of Stanford that the fastest way to kind of shift our nervous systems to a parasympathetic state, which basically means just kind of activating our calm down system, is by doing what is referred to as the physiological sigh. So uh, I want you all to kind of do this with me. It's going to take just a second. But find a comfortable place to either sit, lie down, just relax your shoulders. Um, if you're not in the car and driving, you know, close your eyes if you feel I feel like that should just be a disclaimer at the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Seriously. All right. So the way we're going to do this is start by being a little more mindful of our breath. So let's begin by just taking a moment to notice your current breath. Is it shallow or deep, fast or slow? We're just observing it first without trying to change anything, focusing that attention inward. So while you're doing that, kind of taking inventory of your own breath, I'm going to explain how the physiolog physiological sigh works, and then I'll model it so we can practice it. It starts with us taking a slow, deep breath in through our nose, filling our chest and abdomen, feeling it expand as we fill our lungs with air. Then the key is to try to squeeze in a bit more air by taking an additional quick breath in, kind of maxing out our lung capacity. From there, we slowly exhale from either our mouths or noses, whichever you're most comfortable with, 
and this is the physiological sigh, and you can kind of repeat it as many times as you need or like. And again, it is the fastest way to start slowing down your heart rate to bring yourself into a more regulated state if you find that you're kind of approaching a level that you don't want to be in. I've been using it all the time. Me too. Every in the day. Ca- in the car with the kids. Yeah, yeah. That's a good. <laughs> that's a good place to use it. So let's all practice this together. It's going to sound a lot like this: deep breath in through the nose, filling your lungs. Take a little bit more in, and out. I like to hum while I breathe out because that's a way of activating the vagus nerve, which is another strategy to help Mm. us calm down. So let's do it again. Deep breath in. More. And out. Oh, man. You can feel it like I feel an energy shift in the room. Yeah. And so, again... um, This is what I have heard and have found to be the fastest way to get yourself into a more regulated state. So you want to show up as that parent who can model emotional regulation before having any interaction with your kids. Mm -hmm. Take at least one of these physiological sighs. Uh, But again, doing more is only going to help push the needle more in that direction. All right. Thanks for that. You're welcome. (laughs) All right. So that's going to lead us into actionable tip number two. Let's try to keep this moving. Establish routine and predictability. So I'm going to share a story about what it feels like when one of us is away for either the night or the weekend. And this is perfect timing because Greg is going away this weekend to a bachelor party. Sorry. Yay you. It's my my last friend to get married. So it definitely increases anxiety in our house, right? Our kids are already like kind of like prepping themselves for it. So there's more stress placed on the parent who's home, but, you know, also on the kids because mostly it's a change in their routine, right? We're used to seeing each other all the time. We have dinner together every night. We do our bedtime routine as a family, That's just the age our kids are, and we're able to do that, which is wonderful. We're really a team, and when one of us is away, it just really, it throws everything off. I'm feeling awful about it, I hope you know. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to feel awful. I'm allowed to feel awful, but I'm also forgiving myself (laughs) and going to take my damn trip. (laughs) Um, So, you know, that's just one example of how a change in our routine really impacts us as a whole family. But on maybe a more positive note, another example is we have a big family calendar in our kitchen and we list all the events of each day. And I think, you know, it's something our, at least our two older girls now are really starting to reference and it helps us all thrive because we know what to expect. Yeah. And so this is huge just coming from a, you know, my experience in psychology This whole idea of routine and predictability, it gives us a sense of perceived control. And basically, lacking a sense of control is what will spiral us right into anxiety, right? The unpredictable, the unexpected. Um, I don't want to go kind of too deep here, but when I'm talking to my students about anxiety disorders, and so some of you might be familiar with like generalized anxiety disorder, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, much of it surrounds the idea of a lack of control. And so we end up kind of developing these 
compulsive behaviors in order to get control in some way, which can kind of help mitigate and inhibit some of that anxiety. So the takeaway here, if we can add any sense of perceived control, understand what's expected and kind of having a way to be, be able to know what's coming and managing it, manage it, we'll be able to scale back those feelings of anxiety, which is why this is one of our tips here, right? Developing routines that establish any sort of predictability, like having that calendar with here's what's coming up in the week, here's what you should be expecting, is just going to help us all be less anxious. You know, I think this is why when an email comes in and it says, you know, such and such is going on on this day and I mention it to you and the first thing you say to me is, is it on the calendar? Is it on the calendar, Jen? <laughs> and I, I do that deep guttural And voice. I almost like don't want to put it on the calendar because it annoys <laughs> me that you ask. <laughs> but it's it though. But I know it's a way... For me. For you to manage your anxiety. Yeah, we have... And it definitely helps me too. It's just, it's taken getting used to. Right, so, it's, it's a whole new routine for you. Right. Um, but it's been my way of managing my anxiety for many, many years now. If I can put it, if I it can do what's called cognitive offloading, if I can take this thing and put it somewhere where I know where it is, it means I don't have to worry about it. It's, it's kind of exists in this place. And again, it adds that sense of control and predictability. Right. So maybe you can share another strategy that people can use, your, the to-do list that yeah. you have. So one of my other main strategies outside of the calendar is I do have a digital to-do list. And uh, I do this through my Google account. So it's a, a Google task thing. It's, His you know. digital to-do list gives me anxiety. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so it's a beast. do what works for you. But but, uh, <laughs> but I can reorder it. and show, So basically, I have this running to-do list, but I shuffle things to the top basically every night. And so before mm -hmm. I really am prepared to kind of check out for the day, I'll open up my to-do list and I will go in and I'll kind of slide the top, you know, at minimum three, at most, let's say 10, things to the very top of that list, and I'll order them in terms of how important they are, how pressing they are. And the whole idea is, this helps me set up the whole next day, so mm -hmm. I can officially clock out for the night, go to sleep, nothing's floating around in my brain. So it's not keeping you, know, you up keep at it, night. Exactly. And so again, it's, it's just giving me that sense of, I know what's coming tomorrow mm -hmm. so I can check out for right now because I'm going to be okay. Right. So this section's all about routines and boundaries just to kind of bring us if back you, to the if topic. You yeah, pick that up. <laughs> they really provide a sense of security. I think that's what we're trying to say here. So yeah. let me just reiterate, consistent routines can provide us all with a sense of stability and predictability, which is really comforting for those of us who are dealing with anxiety. So right now, let's take a minute to reflect on something, can be anything, that we can incorporate into our daily lives that can add this element of control for ourselves and our kids starting tonight. Yeah, hit us. What do we got? So something you can try is having a discussion about what's coming the following day. Are we going to point at our big calendars while we do that? We might. <laughs> Maybe you don't have a big calendar. That's okay. Yeah. Just have a discussion. It gives our kids a sense of stability, and then they will know what to expect. It also gives them an opportunity to ask questions. I think a lot of times we just take our kids along for the ride and don't explain what's going to be happening to them. Yeah. So this allows them to sort of, you know, give their input they feel like they have a say in the matter. So 
we're not going to see other controlling behaviors because right. they feel like they have this under control, right. if it's, that makes sense. Yeah, it's going to help all of us, right? It's going to help us. It's going to help them, like you were saying, create that sense of security, control, which, yeah, this is going to kind of quell anxieties. Basically, knowing what's to come, having that predictable routine or even just some more of a general structure is this like psychological safety net because let's be real, the unknown is really freaking scary, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, another suggestion would be maybe you plan to have dinner at the same time every night. Or if that's not realistic, maybe your bedtime routine looks the same every night. We want something that we can rely on to be consistent. Yeah, it's important. And so let's just pick one thing to start with, right? Um, the idea of saying, okay, we're going to add routine and predictability to our lives is an incredibly overwhelming oh, challenge, yeah. especially for those of us where maybe this isn't one of our strengths. Mm -hmm. So the big tip here, pick just one thing and learn to do that like one thing thing really well before taking on another you can always build off so don't try to start with the home start with the foundation pick some element of your day or your week that tends to drive anxiety in your home and start with that develop strategies to add routine and predictability to again that one thing and just focus on that one thing for days, weeks, months, however long it takes. And once you kind of have a hold over that and you're realizing the anxieties surrounding that have come down quite a bit, that's when you can go and maybe shift your attention onto something else. But start small and you better be freaking celebrating every tiny step forward that you take because, yeah, anytime we're moving forward, what more can you ask for? Life's a celebration. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and we know, so our kids thrive on routine. Let's be honest. I thrive on we, routine. We all thrive on routine. And when suddenly something is broken, it leads to feelings of uncertainty and even fear, sure. which we might not have even considered. And our kids might not be able to like verbally express this to us, but we definitely see it in their behaviors. Right. The defiance, the tantrums could <laughs> all just... Yeah, yeah. So taking these steps now is going to lead to a more regulated, happy household. Here, here. All right. So <laughs> I think we really drove that home. I hope so. Um, all right. Moving things along, we are going to now get into our third actionable tip of the episode, which is to foster a growth mindset and resilience. I love it. So I have another story. Yeah. Our youngest daughter came home one day not long ago saying, I'm never going to learn to read, right? She said something like that. Yeah. This is anxiety provoking for everyone. Like, this is what I'm thinking. Crap, can my kid really not read? I want to make her feel better. I want to reassure her that she's learning. But I also don't want to minimize her feelings, so I could have brushed it off and said like, oh, that's not true. Right. You know, you can look at pictures and tell a story. You know sounds and you can read sight words. Like, see, you're a reader. <laughs> but that wasn't what she needed to hear. She needed me to validate her. So in this moment, I was able to take a different approach. 
So just to kind of model it for you guys, I said something like, oh, you know, reading is really challenging. And it is. It is. <laughs> I w- You're I not w- lying. I'm not lying. <laughs> no. I remember when I was learning how to read, I felt like I was never going to learn. But eventually I did. It feels really hard right now. And I get it. Yes. And so this is like the whole, have I ever told you about strategy? Um, which is all about, you know, when they're facing some sort of challenge or struggle, a great way to kind of connect with them and validate whatever they're feeling is to share that time that you struggled or, mm-hmm. or that you failed. And, you know, at the end of it, we just want to make sure that we're emphasizing that this struggle, this challenge, those failures are all opportunities for growth, right? So it becomes a space for us to just encourage kind of uh, problem solving, adaptability, mm-hmm. persistence, and this a more like positive outlook when we're facing those kinds of challenges. Right. So maybe your child comes home with stories of a challenge, like nobody likes me or I'm never going to be good at math. I mean, we've all heard these statements yeah. from our kids <laughs> or like, I'm not good at lit- insert anything yeah. that I applies just, to your I child. Just can't ex- yeah. Right. So it's our job to validate their feelings instead of, pushing their challenges, emotions, perceived failures into the darkness, which only leads to more maladaptive thinking yeah. and behavior. Do you right? mean trauma? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we want to show empathy. We want to show understanding. We don't necessarily have to solve the problem here or fix it, but show that we understand. Right. And so it, the whole point is you want to show them that, you know, that, oh, hey, another cough. Hold on here. Oh, man, we got to quarantine this place. So generally just made sure that I'm going to edit out the vast majority of the coughs. So you may have only heard one or two or maybe zero coughs to this point, but there have been thousands. Um, ooh, what the hell was I saying? All right. So, so the whole point here. Help them feel seen, helping them know that they're not alone in their struggles. Um, and so, you know, this is reminding me of this example surrounding basketball. Um, our six-year-old daughter was watching her two older sisters shoot hoops, and we're out there in the in the driveway shooting around. And she was getting really frustrated because she couldn't reach the hoop with her shots. And, you know, she's on the verge of having a meltdown. And I just told her my story. I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, I have my two older brothers. I was just like you. Mm -hmm. I was the small one who couldn't reach the hoop watching them shoot and hit shots. And I couldn't even get the basketball up high enough. And I'm, and, uh, but I just made it clear to her, you know, I failed over and over again and it hurt every time, but I persisted. I kept trying. I got bigger. I got stronger. And look at me now, right? Eventually, I can reach the hoop. I can shoot shots. And that's going to be you someday if you just keep at it. Right. And I love this because you helped her to realize that our challenges or Mm -hmm. our perceived failures Mm -hmm. are just these opportunities for growth. Yeah. And so what's kind of cool is... I just, this was maybe just a couple of weeks ago. We're out there shooting. We've got the hoop lower to the lowest it can go. And like, you just, she hit the rim. She <laughs> threw it up there and finally hits the rim. And her face just explodes out of joy. Like what a huge success. The thoughts in her head of, I cannot do this. 
just got wiped clean and she was rewarded for her persistence because she had this kind of growth mindset, which led to her being resilient, which had her keeping at it. Right. But maybe if you, if you didn't show that you understood, maybe she would have given up. Yeah. Right. So we're doing all of this to help our kids be more adaptable, be more flexible. We are all about teaching our kids skills. And that's something that this does, right? They're going to be better able to manage all the negative emotions that come along with struggle and failure and not just push those feelings down or give up. So let's briefly touch on the power of yet, since I think it's really important in this topic. And I'm sure... You know, you've all heard of this. It's pretty big in schools right now. Yeah. So if you haven't heard of it, it basically refers to this idea that you can add the word yet to the end of a statement and totally change the way we perceive and then therefore approach our challenges, right? So if your kid's doing math homework and says something like, I don't understand this math problem, you can help them adopt that growth mindset and therefore develop resilience by modeling the words. I don't understand this math problem yet, right? Adding yet helps them see that this is eventually achievable as long as they stick with it. Right. So it supports their effort and their persistence. Yes. And so we talk about self-efficacy a lot in psychology. Um, This idea that we need to believe that we can succeed at the task, right? And so if we're, if we're sitting there... There's that just right challenge again. Right. Yeah, if we're <laughs> sitting there and saying the words to, my, to ourselves or our kids, I can't do this, your self-efficacy hits rock bottom. You mm-hmm. can kind of learn that you're helpless and you give up altogether and there's no version of that person that <laughs> persists and succeeds. So the power of yet leaves hope. It leaves room for growth and helps us kind of maintain this sense of, I can do this thing. It's just going to take work and it's going to take time. Right. So you're more positive. Yeah. You're optimistic, which ultimately leads to this, you know, increased motivation, your increased willingness to take on challenges because you believe you can overcome them, yeah. which is what, what our daughter about. did. Right. You know, it takes time and you know, it's going to take work. But basically, our, you know, current limitations, whether or not they're perceived or real, are not indicative of our ultimate potential. We can overcome obstacles and we can achieve our goals. Yeah. So big takeaway here. Let's create a safe physical and emotional environment for our kids with open, non-judgmental communication that has us active listening and being responsive to their individual needs, and all the emotions that they're experiencing, right? There are going to be so many challenges throughout their lives that can just be riddled with these kind of dark emotions, we'll call them. We can help them approach those challenges from a place of strength, therefore cutting through whatever kind of negative feelings they may be experiencing. Right, versus just saying like, no, you're fine. Right, yeah. That's not teaching anything. No. And I think it's something most of us have learned to oh, do, right? Sure. Like, oh, it, you're fine. You're it's fine. fine. Everything's going to be fine. Get up. You're fine. But we can do so much more because we, now we know better. That's right. 
So that takes us to the conclusion of the episode to summarize the three tips for this topic of understanding and managing anxiety techniques to support your family's mental health. Number one, model and nurture emotional regulation. Again, show up regulated with that physiological sigh so you can then model regulation. And do that detective work to figure out what works for you and what works for your kids. That's exactly right. Two, establish routine and predictability. Again, find just one thing that you can add a little more structure to to kind of add this sense of control and therefore pull back anxiety. And number three, foster growth mindset and therefore resilience. And again, great tip, use the power of yet. Love it. Let's remember these are just three of the many tips and strategies out there. Yeah, we, we, when we're brainstorming (laughs) this, had many, many more tips that we wanted to share here. So we've already been talking about uh, an anxiety part two episode. So do stay tuned for that. And if you're looking for an easy-to-use handout that summarizes these tips with some scripts and some examples, we're going to be including a link in the show notes that'll take you to our podcast one-pagers. So, you know, check them out, print them, put them on your fridge. They're a great resource. Yeah. And just another quick kind of call to action here. Come work with us directly in the Happy Human Collective. Again, we're doing our best to kind of create this education and support space for parents that are really dedicated to growth, who want to be better for themselves and their families. Uh, We have new members popping in almost daily. And for those that are there, they are sharing with us that this is the space that they've been looking for. Um, If you feel like you might want to check out this space, please go to happyhumanlife.org. We want to help you. So give us a chance. So looking ahead to our next episode, it is titled Stop Yelling and Find Your Calm, Techniques for Nurturing Emotional Regulation. Very excited about this yeah, one. Yeah, it's going to be good. And so I'm hoping to find my calm <laughs> <afterwards>. <laughs> And so, again, we're talking about anxiety. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, just no to all of you out there. If you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling finding your calm, you are not alone. The happy human couple here, it's us almost every day. I think we say this a lot. You're in good company. Yeah, you're in good company we think here with us. We think we're good company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. All right, so we've been ending every episode with a mantra message to kind of send you off. And Jenna Lee usually reads them because she's just good at it. Um, but I begged her to let me read one. So here we go. This is a good one. Prepare yourself. I choose calmness over chaos, peace over panic. I am capable of facing any challenge that comes my way. How'd I do? I was just trying to sit with it for a second. I love that. Yeah, did I, I rush through it? I love that so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for spending your time with us today. We are so grateful to be growing with you. Yeah, we hope you're having fun here and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care.